Hi there. This is Sam Musgrave, pastor over college and young adult ministry at Trinity Community Church. This podcast is a collection of the sermons from our gatherings. My prayer is that you will grow in knowledge and love for King Jesus, or maybe come to faith in him for the very first time. Join me now for this sermon. Marriage was gutted of its purpose and meaning many years ago, and much later than children that come from marriage became despised and unwanted, and all that is dehumanizing enough. But now human life itself is being aggressively redefined at its most basic level, at the level of male and female. We do live in strange and perilous times. Just like Paul described in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And there, Paul's encouragement to Timothy in the face of these kinds of times was simply to continue in the powerful, life-giving, and sufficient word of God. That was his answer. So my hope for tonight is that the simple truth of God's word will give us good hope and direction. And I hope to paint a picture from the scriptures that exalts the goodness of God's creation in male and female marriage and children. Matthew 19, verses 3 through 6, records the time when the Lord Jesus Christ rebuked the Pharisees' desire for easy divorce with the truth about male and female marriage and children from the creation story. And so the creation story speaks to us powerfully today for what we face. And so to better understand our relationships as men and women, tonight we will work through Matthew 19, verses 3 through and 4, phrase by phrase, and dig into the creation of male and female. And next week, God willing, we will look at the creation of marriage. So please join me in prayer. Our Father, we come to you tonight as redeemed sinners who are trusting in your word, in which you have said that if we abide in your word, we truly are your disciples and we will know the truth and that truth will set us free. So we ask that you deliver us from lies and set us free with the truth about human life as you created it. And we ask for power and boldness to live according to your will and to be rid of the fear of man. May we fear you alone, our good and gracious King. And so we thank you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, please follow along with me. In Matthew 19, Matthew 19, verses 3 through 6. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. 
Now, this passage is about divorce, and my message is not about divorce. But in answering uh, a question about divorce, Jesus gives us an interpretive key. Similar to our day, there was a running debate among the rabbis about uh, what legitimate grounds for divorce might be. And in verse 3, the Pharisees use this debate to try to trap Jesus. And their trap is not our concern this evening, but the way he answered them instructs us. Notice how Jesus begins his answer in Matthew 19 in the first phrase of verse 4. Have you not read? Have you not read? Haven't you, Pharisees of all people, even read Genesis 1.27 and Genesis 2.24? You boast in your knowledge of the law, and yet you have missed what these passages plainly teach. Now, it's very certain that the Pharisees had read those scripture passages, but they couldn't answer questions about divorce correctly because they missed or more likely avoided the plain meaning of marriage and its foundation in male and female in those passages. And because they missed the plain meaning, they also missed all the necessary consequences that flow from that meaning, which lead away from divorce. Notice that Jesus answers them by quoting two scripture passages that don't even mention divorce and don't even use the word marriage. You see what he's doing? He's moving the discussion away from their continual debate about divorce case law, and he just points to the creation story, just points to Genesis. And that's what we must do for what we face in our day. So Jesus was giving these Pharisees a scripture interpretation lesson that day. And that lesson is for us because Genesis 1.27 and Genesis 2.24 together reveal the form and the purpose and the morality of marriage as well as speaking to love, human sexuality, childbearing, and family. Genesis 1.27 and Genesis 2.24 together are far more than a description of what might take place in human life. They communicate a divine ordinance, God's authoritative rule of life based in the nature of male and female. Human life is grounded on those two passages. So if they forbid divorce for just any reason, then certainly they tell us that male and female are real and not imaginary. Now, Look at the second phrase of Jesus' answer in Matthew 19, verse 4. Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning? He who made them at the beginning. So take note here that Jesus leads into his scripture quotations by affirming the existence of a maker and a beginning. The creator God in omnipotent power and infinite wisdom created male and female bodies and natures that work in complete harmony to bring new life into existence. The power in male and female to create new life then could not have come about by random chance operating through genetic mutations and natural selection. Simply 
impossible. Male and female did not evolve. They were created. And then God immediately brought the male and the female into the social and legal relationship he crafted for them to live in that we call marriage. So clearly then, marriage is not an invention of the culture, is not the result of some human ingenuity, and is not patriarchal oppression by white Anglo-Saxon Protestant males. No, the creator God fashioned marriage. It was his idea. It belongs to him, and he owns it. He holds the copyright. He owns the patent. And he defines what marriage consists of and how it ought to be used. And then, after situating his teaching about marriage squarely on the creation story in Genesis, in the third phrase of his answer in Matthew 19, verse 4, Jesus quotes just four Hebrew words from Genesis 1.27, five words in English. Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? made them male and female. So in the creation, God made mankind as two distinct but complementary sexes. Not genders, but sexes. This is important. In the past, those two words were synonyms. They referred to the same thing. And you can see that in old dictionaries. And gender, the word gender also referred to the gendered grammar of languages. But today, those two words describe two related but different things. The word sex refers to biology, to the two biological categories into which almost all living things are divided on the basis of reproductive function, male and female. But today, the word gender is defined as the social roles or the expressions of masculinity and femininity that are rooted in biological sex. But because the gendered grammar of languages seems to be arbitrary, those who are driving this dehumanizing worldview tell us that the expressions of masculinity and femininity are also arbitrary. They're just inventions of culture, and therefore they are not rooted in biology. That's what we're told today. And because they also teach that the mind is disconnected from the body, it's very easy for them to back further away from reality and say that gender is determined by a person's inner feelings and not by biological sex, and therefore gender is fluid and changeable. And, of course, that idea goes hand-in-hand with a very determined effort to transcend the restraints of biological sex and God's purposes for it. And thus we have been led down into a very degraded pit a mind-boggling pit of degradation through lies and through slate of hand with word definitions. And your generation is reaping a whirlwind of destruction. But the truth is that God created two sexes and he created the social roles, the expressions of masculinity and femininity that flow from them and are intertwined with them. 
Now, what we face today is deeper and deadlier than divorce. Why? Because divorce attacks the building. And to attack male and female is to attack the foundation of the building. Made them male and female. Very simply, from his body, the male begets the young. And within her body, the female conceives the young, gestates the young, births the young, and then nurses and nurtures the young after birth. And this simple, factual, scientific definition has been understood from the beginning. It's not rocket science. It's also been understood that the specific differences between the male and the female clearly show that the design of the male body and nature fit him to be father, provider, and protector. And that of the female fit her to be mother, nurturer, and helper. In fact, these very differences between male and female are the single most important fact of human life. How can I say that? It's because every single person that has ever lived has come from the union of just one male and one female. Every single person. And every male body and mind is designed to connect to a female. And every female body and mind is designed to connect to a male. The flourishing of human life revolves around how male and female relate to each other. So right here, a pattern begins to emerge. A picture of human life as God created it. Do you see it? I ask because Jesus expected the Pharisees to see it. And to draw the necessary conclusions. Well, how are female, male and female defined? By reproductive function. How is reproductive function defined? By details such as begetting, conceiving, gestating, birthing, nursing, and nurturing. So here's the picture. At the beginning, first a male, then a female, and then as their reproductive functions draw the two together, children to whom the male is father and the female mother. Each of those words describe a particular aspect of an unchanging reality of reproductive function. So out of that pattern, another picture should arise in our minds. Do you see this one? Jesus expected the Pharisees to see it as well. The picture is of just one male and just one female united in the social and legal relationship of marriage, deeply loving each other and together caring for and deeply loving the babies the two of them bring into the world. And as we look at that father and mother now loving their babies, we become aware of grandparents on either side who were themselves loved by their parents and now pass that love down. And so in God's creation of male and female, love and sacrifice is cascading down the generations and envelops those new little babies. This is God's very good creation, even though it is now marred 
by sin. Now, these pictures must have babies in them. They must. Without babies, the human story dies out and comes to a screeching halt. I know that some couples are unable to have children and some people never marry, but we're looking at the pattern that God created in male and female. And the pattern God created includes babies. Now, looking at these pictures with babies in them should lead us to ask this important question. Who will care for the babies the male and the female bring into the world? Who? Let me put it stronger. Who's obligated to care for these babies who are utterly helpless and vulnerable, needing protection and care for years until they are ready to stand on their own? Who is obligated to bring these babies up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? Answer, the male and the female who made them are obligated to do all this for them. Deuteronomy 6.7 and Ephesians 6.4. It should not surprise us then that God crafted this social and legal relationship that, between the two that binds them together for life, which is good for them, very good for them, but it is vital for the babies. God has also placed in that particular male and in that particular female a fierce love for their particular babies that impels them to gladly sacrifice, protect, and care for those babies, willingly laying their own lives down for them. In fact, no one in all the world loves those babies like their own mother and father. No one. And this is how God made the male and female to function. The male loving those babies in the way that only males can. And the female loving those babies differently in the way only females can love and care for babies. The male and the female are different in this, but both are necessary. And to watch a new father and mother loving and delighting in their own little babies is a soul-satisfying and glorious thing to watch. It's a little glimpse of God's love for his own children and his delight in them. And if the male and the female don't love their own babies in this way, something is terribly wrong, terribly wrong. And by this we can conclude that something has gone haywire when men can encourage and women will actually kill their own babies in the womb. You see, to be made as male and female is all about bringing new human life into the world and then caring for that life. In fact, bringing new human life into the world and then nurturing that life is one of the most important things a male and a female can do together. It's what God made them to do together. New human life is necessary for humanity to flourish. 
Without the inflow of new human life, cultures and economies will decline and fall into ruin. Look at history. It affects churches too. But even more important, as married couples have babies and then raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, they are spreading the gospel, the knowledge of God over the globe, and they participate in the Great Commission as they teach their children to obey all things that Christ has commanded and call them to repentance and faith and bring them to the local church to be baptized. Parents are on mission. So... We who are male should live as a male, expressing masculinity through our male body and nature. And you who are female should live as a female and express femininity through your female body and nature according to God's design and purpose. Made them male and female. There's something special about the way God created the human male and female. In the creation account of Genesis 1, we learn that God just spoke a word and the earth just sprouted with vegetation. And he spoke another word and the water and the air just swarmed with living creatures of all kinds and shapes and sizes. And he spoke another word, and the earth brought forth animals of all kinds and shapes and sizes. And all this amazing variety of living things, swarms of male and female of each kind. But that's not how God created mankind. He made only one male and then one female, and all of humanity sprang from that one pair which creates a kinship between every human being of every color and every ethnicity. There's no room for racism. And also in Genesis, from Genesis 1, when God created mankind, he didn't just speak a word and the earth brought forth a living man. Instead, God pauses. He makes a declaration that mankind would be made in his image. And then in Genesis 2, we read details of God fashioning the body of the man and then breathing the breath of life into him. And then, also from Genesis 2, God did not make the woman like he made the man. He didn't make another body, this time female, and then breathe the breath of life into her. No. He took flesh and bone right out of the man and he built the woman from those materials. And when God brought the woman to the man, the man said, this one, this female human being is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. The man is verbalizing the realization that this woman is not just another human being, this time female. No, she is bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. And therefore, he is intimately connected to her and he has a moral obligation to her. A moral obligation to treat her with the same care and the same nourishing and cherishing with which he automatically nourishes and cherishes his own body. Ephesians five twenty-eight to 30. But she is weaker than he is. 
She's built differently because she is the mother and nurturer of the living. And so he is to live with her in an understanding way. First Peter three or yeah, first Peter three seven. And he is to value his wife so highly that he will expend his life laboring to provide for her and the children that she bears him, dying for her if necessary to preserve her life. Just like Christ did for his bride, Ephesians 5.25. And because she was made from the very flesh and bone of the man, whose nature leads him to subdue the earth and exercise dominion so as to provide for and to protect her and her children. The woman has a moral obligation to her husband to willingly place herself under his protection and leadership in an orderly fashion. Ephesians five twenty-two to 24. This is God's very good creation of male and female in the beginning. Remember the question... Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any old reason? Well, from what we've seen so far, just being made as male and female should lead us to respond with an emphatic, no, it's not okay. Just look at how God made us. And that same response applies to those who question the reality of male and female. Now, there's yet another aspect of humanity that goes hand in hand with being made male and female that underlies Jesus' answer. So when he quoted just four Hebrew words from Genesis 1.27, he was not ignoring the other nine Hebrew words in that verse as if they did not apply to marriage or questions about divorce. The entire verse reads like this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And male and female, he created them. Now we learn from these words that the man and then the woman made from the man were designed and fashioned in the image of God as the basis for living as male and female. It necessarily follows then that the image of God also governs the expressions of masculinity and femininity. Deuteronomy 22.5, for instance. The male expresses the image of God in a masculine way through his male body and nature. The female expresses the image of God differently through her female body and nature. The calling and use of the male and female bodies are different. But the image of God brings the same dignity and value to each and the same moral obligation to live in love and righteousness to each as they fulfill their different functions. So what is the image of God? Perhaps it can be described with just one word, holiness. The capacity for holiness. To be holy means to be set apart to God. Set apart from profane use and set apart for his special use. And that describes mankind. Set apart, different. And what is God's special use? Two words. Love and righteousness. 
love, and righteousness, characterizing the way the male and the female pursue being fruitful and multiply and filling the earth, and the way they subdue the earth and use its resources, and the way they exercise dominion over every living thing. And when the love of God and his righteousness prevail in human life, the blessedness of God's divine life just flows out into human life and blesses everyone. And there's peace and quietness and abundance. Proverbs 29.2. Now, we long for satisfaction and fulfillment in marriage. We we deeply desire to live happily ever after with the one we love. And that desire reflects eternity in our hearts. But this happiness is a byproduct of holiness. So if you want to to be happy in marriage, keep God's law of love. What is his law of love? Well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the, that's the first thing. And then keep Romans 13.10, which says, Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So the best way to be happy and to keep happy is love and righteousness. Let me be frank. <clears throat> you are looking for the right person to marry, and you should. But even more important is that you are the right person, which means that your life must be characterized by God's love, Romans 13.10, and his righteousness. So keep God's commandments. Abstain from sexual immorality in body and mind. Possess your body in sanctification and honor and not in lustful passion like the unbelievers who do not know God. First Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8. And when you enter into relationship with the other sex with hopes of marriage, turn away from, restrain yourself from all forms of sexual immorality in body and mind. Seek a spouse in sanctification and honor and not in lustful passion like the unbelievers who do not know God. This is the will of God. It is even your sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8. Do not set this aside. And when you are married, you must not bring sexual immorality into your marriage bed. It will destroy your marriage. So love God, Romans 13, and his righteousness. Those two things must prevail in that most intimate place as well. We are not animals. We were not made to act like brute beasts. Jude verse 10. The Pharisees were acting like brute beasts. They were kicking their wives out of the house for just any old reason, just like is happening in our day, except in our day, it's the men being kicked out of the house by the women for just any old reason. 
And this statement that we are not to act like brute beasts also answers much of the unnatural and sexual perversion we see all around us today. When God made Adam and Eve, he immediately married the two of them. He didn't set them loose to play around with sexuality before marriage. He didn't permit them to live as an unmarried couple without a marriage commitment, as if that would somehow tell them that they were compatible or not. Women usually and children always are the losers in uncommitted relationships. Okay, so here we are. We're made in God's image, but what are we to do with that? Well, our creator gave us significant work to do together. Work that still needs to be done today, male and female together. So here is that work. Genesis 1, 27 and 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So the tasks of subduing and having dominion began in the garden, where the man was placed first to tend and to keep it, which means to cultivate and guard it. And those two activities, cultivate and guard, define the tasks of subduing and uh, the earth to sustain life and having dominion through wise government. The man was joined by the woman shortly afterwards and her presence and the babies that come along that eventually came with her gave meaning to the man's work. And then with her, multiplying and filling the earth could then be accomplished. But neither of them can complete these tasks on their own. They need each other. Remember, God said it was not good for a man to be alone. And he made the woman specifically to be the man's helper in his tasks. His helper, not his plaything, not his foot servant, but his trusted and valuable and wise helper to stand alongside of him in this mission. Yes, men need women. And God made the woman not to be the man's competitor or adversary or boss, but to be his helper protected and provided for by him as she pursues pursues her tasks. Yes, women need men. So the heavy lifting of subduing the earth and having dominion falls primarily on the male by virtue of his male body and nature. The heavy lifting of being fruitful and multiplying falls primarily on the female by virtue of her female body and nature. Remember, it's the female that conceives the young, gestates the young, births the young, and then nurses and nurtures the young after birth. And when the two work together, the whole job gets done. And working within God's love and righteousness, the job gets done well and it gets done right. But if they live apart from each other in mistrust and selfish independence, like is what, what is happening today, the job doesn't get done at all. 
And if they live outside of God's love and righteousness, the job is not done well and great harm is done to all around the table. If they deny the differences between male and female, the job does not get done and cannot be done well. Male and female, each with different strengths and abilities, were made to stand together and face life together, coming together, not as radical individuals, not holding each other at arm's length and mistrust, but coming together as interdependent persons, made to flourish together in human society. Not as sexless persons, not as genderless persons, but living out God's purposes uniquely as male and uniquely as female. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. In other words, actively engage in having babies. That's what that means. And from this command, we can see that bearing children and raising them to maturity is one of the primary functions of normal human life. This means that marriage has a very important focus on children and their protection, education, and well-being. Because the family is built on the platform of marriage as God's incubator for human life. That means that the daily work of the family is nothing less than the shaping of the bodies and the souls of humanity. That's what's going on in the family. And that is significant, vital, culture-shaping work. In our day, of course, this command is very hard for us to hear. But God commanded fruitfulness. He wants lots of babies to be born. He doesn't establish a minimum number of babies. He just instructs us to multiply. And that means to refuse to have children, to not even want children, is serious. It means to prevent conception is also serious. And so all of that must be examined in the light of God's word. Why are children so important? Well, for one thing, they develop solutions for tomorrow's problems and needs. That's how human progress has happened, and this is why life is able to continue and be preserved even today. King David was son number eight, and Thomas Edison was child number seven. Childless cultures end in economic collapse and ruin. Now, in closing, I, I believe that we, I certainly, need a better view of holiness and what it looks like in real life. How do you think of holiness? What does it bring to your mind? Listen to this quote. <clears throat> My friends, get this. Holiness cannot be a contradiction of our humanity. Holiness is a renewal of our humanity. It is a discovery of our humanity. Holiness is what it means to be made in the image of God. And so to become God-like is to become more human 
than we've ever been before, not less human. To be holy means to find ourselves for the first time. It means that all our potential can come to flower. To become God-like is to become more human than we have ever been before. Now, isn't it a truism that to err is human? Well, that is true of fallen sinners, isn't it? We just can't escape it. But that was not what God made us to be. So what would it look like for full-blown holiness to characterize human life? Would it look like this degraded culture with no marriage and no children and murdered babies and mutilated male and female bodies? No way. Not at all. Would all the fun and enjoyment in life disappear? No way. Not at all. Christ came to give us life, abundant life, good, healthy, light-filled, joy-filled, abundant, happy life. John 10, verse 10. And you know, one day when sin is gone and we stand in a, in a redeemed body, we're going to experience what that is really like. God bring that day. So may God grant you faith and desire to pursue his will for male and female. May he grant you the courage to face down the shame and disapproval that is heaped on those who have babies and want to have babies. And may God give you the courage to grab a hold of this life-giving culture-shaping activity that he made for you, that he made you for, and to live it out and defend it for all your worth. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for giving us a little glimpse into your good creation, your very good creation of male and female. And so open our hearts and minds and free us from the fear of man and work in our hearts that we might desire you and your will for us. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining me for this sermon from the Trinity College and Young Adult Ministry. We would love for you to join us in person soon. For up-to-date information, follow our Instagram at trinityc.ya. For information regarding Trinity Community Church, visit trinitycc.com. Until he returns, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you.